Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. This is episode 54 and today it's slightly different because Mandy's poorly and she's not with us. But I'm, we're really excited to have the fabulous Lara Frazier. Is it Frazier or Frazier? Frazier, Frazier, I guess. I mean, you can pronounce it however you want, but I say Frazier. <laughs> so Lara Frazier. You, you got my, you tell, you got my, fir- my first name is like um, Lara, Sarah with an L. Yeah. So Lara Frazier. Okay. Yeah. And it's and you're yeah. all the way from Tampa Bay. And I am. And Lara is a freelance writer, a truth teller and an innovator. And she's a fierce believer in the power of owning our stories and a strong advocate for addiction recovery. And you've got a blog, um, which is larafrasier.com. Um, and you have a pig. And there are I so <laughs> many things that I want to ask you about. That I don't know why I've honed in on the pig, but it just really like Everyone does. me. <laughs> Should we do that? Should we just talk about the pig just quickly? We can, yeah. Before we, we can get talk into about all the deep peaches. stuff, right? What's his name? Yeah, her name is Peaches. Um, she's actually taking a nap in the other room right now. That's why I had to come in here because I had to lock the door. Because if she knew that I was like, uh, you know, doing something or talking to someone else, she would be like making huge grunts and noises and everything to try to get my attention because she wants me to throw treats for her on the ground. Oh, that's amazing. Like, I didn't even know that pigs took naps. And yeah, I didn't know sense. that they're like yeah. jealous. <laughs> she's like a, she's like a, well, a mix between a dog and a toddler. Like a, and a human. She's a toddler. So I haven't had a toddler, but she's enough for me. That's amazing. We'll have to yeah. have a picture at some point. Yeah. Oh, so thank you so much for coming on. And before we, you know, delve in, we usually do a little check-in. So how, how are you doing today, Laura? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm actually, I have an injury right now, so I haven't been able to do my normal exercise, which is like super important for my own mental health because I work from home and mm. I don't get out much. So exercise is really important. So that's been kind of ch- hard and I'm, I'm getting, um, I feel like I'm getting sick, so it's not like the best time for oh. me to handle it, but I'm doing otherwise, other than that, everything's yeah. really good for me. Yeah. Oh, well, look, thanks for um, coming on the pod and, and sort of talking. And like I said, I know Mandy, you know, met you briefly at She Recovers, um, in LA and you know she just you know, this sober sister who's really walking the walk talking the talk like you are such like you say a kind of fierce advocate of telling you you know the importance of of telling your story so we're really delighted and um and I'm wondering if you could just tell us a, a bit um about your story and your journey to becoming alcohol free yeah um so my story, I don't know how much I, you guys go into this or how much you want me to cover it because my story involves drugs as well. Yep. Uh, yeah, okay I mean, to... tell us, yeah, I, I want to talk <laughs> okay, to you about okay. that okay. as well. Well, yeah. I basically, like I, um, in my earlier, like, I grew up in a really good home in a nice, like upper middle class suburban neighborhood. I was very, very loved by my family, but, um, I also felt like I was in competition with my older sister 
who was very smart. And my parents were really big on like pushing us towards education and like accomplishments and achievements. So I think I put a lot of value as a younger person on like outside validation and success and pleasing my parents. And so um, I went to college, I went to grad school, I worked in the entertainment industry for a little bit. And I think like all a lot of things in my life at one period of time kind of imploded. Um, I was in a, like a physically abusive relationship. Um, I had lost a home, I had quit a job, like basically, because I wasn't a humble person out of ego. Um, and during that time, I was described this, it's Adderall, it's mm-hmm. like an amphetamine. Um, and I also was in a car accident a few years before that and was prescribed opiates. So I started getting into prescription pills, and, and I became addicted to those. And then I mean, I had always used alcohol, not always, but I started learning how to use alcohol to Mm -hmm. check out and numb. I didn't really drink until I turned 21. Um, Like in college, I was really studious and I like didn't want to drink alcohol and I didn't like feeling drunk. I didn't like feeling hungover. And then I, of course, did the thing where we binge drink um, and we think that's normal when it's not normal. Mm. So I was mixing, um, obviously pills and alcohol. I ended up going to treatment multiple times. Um, my addiction got so bad that I was like, I lived homeless for a little bit of time. It took me like about four or five years of going in and out of treatment to really find long-term sobriety. Mm. Um, I think for me, like my experience in treatment, a lot of it was based on this notion of tough love and breaking you down. Um, to build you back up, which wasn't necessarily what I needed. And Mm -hmm. I didn't get any sort of therapy. Um, It was all like based in the 12 step practices. And there wasn't like an emphasis on trauma or attachment styles or abandonment or anything like that. Mm. So when I started learning about those things, um, I think I I started healing. um, And I don't know, really what it was, but I finally like started just showing up for my life and willing to do the work and willing to listen and willing to do all the things I hadn't wanted to do before. Mm. And I've been sober now about five and a half years. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been a- amazing. And the funny thing I want to share um, about the alcohol free journey is that like, when I first got sober, I was like, this was my belief then. I didn't have a problem with alcohol, so I'll probably drink one day. And then um, I started listening to the home podcast with Laura McCowan and Mm -hmm. Holly Whitaker. I ended up doing, um, which is now Tempest Sobriety School, but was Tempest Sobriety School. And I uh, read Andy Grace's book, This Naked Mind. And so like all of them speaking out about their alcohol-free journeys Mm -hmm. and talking about what alcohol really is and how it's harmful to our health and how there's no safe amount of alcohol intake, like that totally flipped my idea of ever wanting to to drink again, regardless Mm. if there's not, you can't drink normally. So, cause it's not normal to drink, but like those (laughs) that I had where it would be normal for me one day. And I also started realizing like what an amazing life I have in sobriety and what Mm. it's like the gratitude of being, of being present and not numbing out when I'm in pain and not moving away from like the hard things, but facing them and how much stronger Mm. I've grown. So there've been a lot of twists and turns in, in my story and in my recovery story, but I'm really grateful um, to be sober. Yeah. And thank you for that. Um, I'm quite interested because a lot of your 
writing that I've seen is is that about obviously you went to traditional treatment and you were like neck deep in the 12 steps mm-hmm. and actually you I, I think you did post post about 12 months and I'm still clean you know and I, I'm, I'm not dead I left AA oh yeah and... yeah yeah that was yeah two year like something I forgot what I leaving AA yeah. um not dead, still sober. Two years later, it's now been three years. Yeah, yeah, and and I think because the conversation, I don't know what it's like in the states, but in the UK, it's really changed. The landscape has really changed, and now it's like okay, there are a lots more avenues, like you say, mm-hmm. for so sobriety for recovery. Um, you know, obviously, you know the she recovers. Um, you know, movement in the states, which is about holistic bespoke pathways and sort yeah. of respectful processes through recovery. Um, so, what was the key? Uh, you know, what was what was the thing that worked for you? Because you said you were in think, out. What what was it? Yeah, I think. Well, everything I did. <laughs> worked for me in some, you know what I mean? Like everything I did worked. I don't think of anything as a mistake. Like even times when, um, counselors like said abusive things or when, um, I like relapsed multiple times or when I like tried to commit suicide or all those things mm-hmm. weren't mistakes, but like for recovery wise, like I was in um, 12 steps for, well, in and out for five years, but I worked the program, like actively worked this program and did all the 12 steps um, in this last sobriety um, for about two years. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what, like, a lot of what the steps did, they did help me, but there are certain beliefs um, in the 12 step community that I don't identify with Mm -hmm. and they were holding me back and my self-esteem was still really, really low. Mm -hmm. I kept, you know, there's... I don't know how familiar you are with the literature, but there's a lot of literature about like in the, in the big book about how we're selfish and self-centered and how we're born this way. And um, Mm -hmm. if the program doesn't work for you, then it's your fault. And um, Mm -hmm. a lot of beliefs that we're powerless. And so I think I wanted to move into more of an empowering approach. And for me, like in the U S 12 step treatment is ingrained in like 90% of the inpatient facilities. So Mm -hmm. we don't really like, it's hard to know that there's something else. Um, because you're not really taught that there's anything else. And Mm. so when I started like actually like listening to women, like I mentioned before, who were starting podcasts and who were starting writing blogs, like being open about their sobriety journey, I realized there are other pathways and there are other modalities and there are other ways to do this thing. Mm. Uh, This thing and people are successful because another thing I had believed in 12 step recovery is like, no one gets sober any other way. This is the only option. Mm. Like there's, there's nothing else for you. And so when I found those, those people speaking out and they had built like Facebook communities and things like that. So I met other women online. Um, I started realizing like there's, there are other ways and I wanted to explore those other ways mm. like yoga and meditation and self-help books and all these things. And mm. I was told by the people in my community, like, you don't need that stuff. The only thing you need is the big book of AA. Mm. So it was a really difficult period for me. And it was one of the more like more traumatic experiences in my recovery because everything I knew was um, 12 step. My community was 12 step. All of the treatment I'd had besides like the therapy um, was, was based on like 12 step, 12 step foundation. So I kind of had to rebuild like a new life. Um, And there were women who stayed with me and accepted me for where I was, but I lost a lot of friends and it was a lonely experience 
Um, I worked in treatment. So my boss like hounded me and was really concerned about me and told me I was going to relapse. And so, um, it was all, it was all a process. Mm. I think now what works for me, um, things that are important to me, like exercise, I, I didn't really know how important that was. Um, I really didn't like, it's not necessarily discussed and there are obviously people who exercise, but it's not Mm. discussed as like a tool or or a modality. And so that's, really beneficial to me. Prayer is still beneficial to me. Meditation was important to me in the beginning. I wish I made it important to me now because it was helpful, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finding joy, like finding things that light you up and like light your fire. Um, For me, that's running, spending time with my family, spending time Mm -hmm. with my pig, um, (laughs) reading (laughs) reading poetry, but like really integrating joy. And honestly, Mm -hmm. I don't no, I know I would have made it through, but Hollywood, Holly Whitaker was huge for me during this period of my life because I actually had multiple phone conversations with her and I obviously did her program, but she kind of held my hand and mm. walked me through that process. And that was in 2016. So mm. having a woman who I admired and looked up to, like guiding me and being a mentor to me, yeah. I think that was super beneficial to me. And now it's like, I don't like, I don't, define myself by my sobriety but I do make the world I live in revolve like somewhat revolve around sobriety like I'm Mm. I'm obviously very active on social media um and like all the accounts I follow or sobriety accounts are like stuff that's beneficial for your mental health Mm. um and I obviously like write about sobriety so I just think ensuring that my sobriety for me personally is like one of my top priorities um I never forget that. And that's been the way, like, since I first got sober. Mm. Yeah, so it's sort of keeping it as a focus, isn't it? And um, But also, it's interesting that, you know, you talked about Holly, and I know that um, Mandy, it really lit her up when she discovered hip sobriety as well, which is now the Tempest. And we, Mandy and I, talk a lot about the importance of values and your sobriety having to match up with your values. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for Mandy, she identifies with a kind of rebellious, sort of something slightly rebellious and kick-ass. So all the powerless talk was never going to wash yeah. with her. And for me, I kind of studied the science of happiness because I'm very interested in neuroscience and joy and happiness and a bit of sparkle and magic. So once I'd linked that to my sobriety, it was like, oh, right, okay, I'm not fighting. Like, there's bits of myself I'm not fighting. Um, so it's interesting. It sounds like that sort of somehow would you say that that aligned with yeah um, I think it aligned um like my like drugs and alcohol broke me I was heavily heavily addicted I didn't think I'd get out of it I was in psychosis for four years of my life like mm-hmm. um and because of that and I experienced a lot of trauma while I was addicted so mm-hmm. um I had a really low self-esteem, super yeah. low. I like, I really despise myself. Um, like that brings me tears just saying mm-hmm. that because I, like, I, I think about how low my self-esteem was and 12 step recovery. Like it wasn't building me. It wasn't building that self-esteem up for me. Like I felt like it was like the service work I was doing, working the steps. Like, of course it, it was humbling, but like, I didn't need more humility. No, like I already felt incredibly, and... yeah, yeah. I felt so I think like Holly's work in terms of what she talks about, how like, we don't need to, like women come in broken, like in 
already. Not yeah. that were, but you know, yeah. feeling great. Yeah. And, and I think I identified with that. I needed mm-hmm. to feel empowered yeah. and I needed like to love, like to learn how to love myself and to learn how to have boundaries mm-hmm. and to learn to say no, like all of that stuff, I think really moved me uh, yeah. forward in my recovery. And I'm, I'm quite interested, you know, you said you were um, addicted to Adderall. Is it Adderall? Now, I know that that's, um, <laughs> that's used as that's like an ADHD yeah, it's an ADHD medication. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I was going to uh, say, have you, are you, do you identify has... as neurodiverse? Say um, that it, do you oh, identify? Do I? Yeah. No, no, I was prescribed it for depression and suicidal ideation. Okay. I had a kook psych- psychiatrist who probably, who should never should have prescribed me Adderall. And I think that's why, like I had the experience I did with psychosis, right. um, and why I became so addicted to it, because I know that people use it for their mental health, and they don't have issues. And I never want to be someone to tell people like what prescriptions to take, mm-hmm. and what not to take. Um, but like for I was not prescribed it. And also I was addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, because I know it's, it's I mean, not- I was prescribed it, but I did I wasn't I didn't have ADD. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've got you because I'm, uh, I'm quite interested in it in terms of um, uh, my son is neurodiverse and so okay. there is this kind of I'm finding more and more sort of connections with addictions compulsive behavior and stuff like that and yeah. and, and, and a neurodiverse profile in it and um, I mean we've talked about this about being introverts or the highly sensitive people and it's amazing how much that seems to kind of lead people towards a kind yeah. of addictive path. I would say I identify as a highly sensitive person. Mm. Um, I don't really know. I'm not as uh, up to speed in what neurodiverse actually means, but like there are um, uh, parts of my personality where I'm highly sensitive, highly mm. empathetic, like um, more, way more like creative and artsy than anyone else in my family, very mm. in um, with energies and, and all this stuff. And I think I, um, shoved that down in order to try to fit in with the society that I was in. Mm. Um, because I was like this very, you know, I spent hours like in my room reading and writing poetry. Um, that wasn't like celebrated, like the arts weren't celebrated Mm. in the communities that I grew up in. So if so certain things I don't know again don't know exactly what neurodiverse yeah friends. so it's like that introversion um highly sensitive maybe sensory sensory processing issues overwhelm very like I can't eat if the light is bad you know things like that I'm very light sensitive okay well yeah I identify with some of that mm. definitely yeah and it's interesting you said that about those things that what is celebrated and what isn't and the way you then pick up those negative messages and then we start looking at self-medicating don't we to avoid yeah. the pain which is then leads us back it, it all seems to lead us back to that that thing we're almost encouraged to do I think as well we're supposed to medicate the extremes of emotion somehow yeah true true and I think like for me in the U and where I grew up in in the U.S. I think in the U.S. I don't know how the U.K. is but like success and accomplishments and achievements and like doing everything you can to get ahead in your career having a huge title like making a lot of money like all those things are really celebrated and accomplished like um also like going to good colleges and schools mm. all these things were important to the society that I grew up in um 
and I wanted to study creative writing mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a writer, like, and all those, like that was all pushed away. Oh, yeah. Um, the beautiful thing about sobriety is that now I know what's important to me and I get to focus on the things that are important yeah. to me. And I to like what my parents want me to do or what society tells me to do. Like I get to live again back as a 11 year old that, mm-hmm. you know, and kid that I used to be um, doing the things that make me happy and not, and not so concerned about what the world expects of me. Yeah. Right. It's like that homecoming, isn't it? Coming back to, those things like I I feel very much like that about my sobriety it's like oh okay after when I take away all that noise and all that bullshit and all of that disconnect and all of that stuff that I used to disconnect with okay it might be uncomfortable at the beginning it might be really well it is it's like it's really like life in HD but you've you can't help them but align you know I've used that word quite a few times it's obviously on my mind but um yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so what would you say what's what are your biggest kind of self-care tips that you would give to people um to say no um to not do things that you don't want to do to please another person which has been a huge lesson for me and continues to be but that's like really big for self-care. Um, I think like for me, Epsom salt baths are very big for my self-care. Um, but like having boundaries, um, I've had to learn how to have boundaries. I've had to learn how to have enough self-respect. Like another thing goes back to like 12 step recovery where you're almost supposed to be like the least important person and everyone else is supposed to be more important. So earn, so unlearning mm. that, because if I don't make myself the priority and my happiness, like I, I can't take care of myself and I can't take care of anyone else. And it keeps me stuck and it doesn't allow me to do the work that I meant to do in this world. Mm. Um, more self-care again, for me being out in the sun and exercising. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of like the self care stuff I do have to do with the things I do in my recovery, like on a daily basis too. Yeah, do you have a kind of a daily routine that you follow? I don't. <laughs> um, no, like I do, but it's not one I recommend. But for me, it's like for me it works. But like yeah. the first thing I do is get up have coffee and look on social media for like 45 yeah. minutes. So yeah. I don't rec- like, I don't recommend that, but that's mm. me. Then I do like, I work in digital marketing. So I do about like two, like three, four hours of work. And then I go, um, I go run, mm. I come back, I stretch, I get quiet. Um, I often pray during that time. I take a bath, mm. um, have lunch, chill out a little bit more, work a little bit more. Um, I'm working on like writing a book right now. So I oftentimes write in the morning too, but that's after I've scrolled social media. So (laughs) Um, I I go to bed around the same, like I'm in bed by eight o'clock at the latest Mm -hmm. and I fall asleep around nine or nine 30. So I do have like a structured day, but it's not like one of those wonderful structured days that like a wellness leader would have (laughs) I'm not that's not like I've I've tried that doesn't it's not me so I can't I can't do it 
But it's like about having something that fits with you, isn't it? So if like if your brain is optimum social media time is that first bit and you love it and it serves you, like why not? Yeah. You might be yeah. very, very angry if you had to sit and do a meta bravna sort of meditation first thing and be like really really ruin your day, right? <laughs> yeah yeah it does yeah me too yeah, but yeah so I have routines and I have rituals and I have all that and I take a like a uh, like after I've I've ran I take an Epsom salt bath um mm. I read a lot like I have routines that I know work for me um but it's, I'm just not like sharing them to recommend them because I think you have to find what works best yeah, for you. Yeah, for sure. And no shame, right? So it doesn't really matter. We're not, we don't have to be perfect. If you want to get on social media, bloody do it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You're but, so right. Yeah. And the other thing that um, I read one of your blogs, which really, really touched me. And I think it's because of, you know, my situation at the moment and some of my fears um, and it was about your parents and about sort of what you, you know, parenting um, an addicted child and what you need. Because we're told, you know, you need tough love and parents are very worried about being permissive or enabling in some way. And I was wondering if you could kind of tell me a bit more about that because it really touched me. Yeah, it touches me too. Um well, basically, there's this idea of tough love and enabling that you have to set these hard boundaries. And sometimes you have to cut people out of your life. Um, my parents are psychologists, which is interesting because like all of their training, everything they learned didn't prepare them for what it would be like to have an addicted um, child. Mm-hmm. I also know, I truly believe I would not, I'd either be in like a like I'd be in permanent psychosis so I'd be in a psych ward or I'd be dead if it weren't for my parents Mm. and their love and for them constantly showing up for me um my parents would I'd often call them delusional and paranoid and they would fly to they live in Texas and I live in California which is I don't know like a four-hour um plane ride and I did live in California. And so they would fly and um, help me, try to find me, get me back into treatment. Like my dad would oftentimes have to search the streets of Los Angeles for me. Um, but they were always the ones helping set me up with treatment and getting me into treatment. I don't think in the state that I was in, I would have even been capable to even understand how to get into treatment. Mm. Um and, and they always told me they love me. They sent me emails all the time about how they, you know, they miss me. They know I can do this. They're mm. rooting for me. Like they believe in me. And when I would get sober, they'd be really, really proud of me. You're going to make me cry. I'm going to cry. No, I love it. <laughs> um, and, and so that type of love and support from them, because again, my self-esteem was entirely broken. I despised myself. I didn't think I was worth anything. And I definitely didn't think I was worth sobriety. And I thought that I'd never, ever get sober or get clean. I kept trying and it kept failing. And so to have two people in my life who saw the worst of me doing the evilest things in the world, um, so but still recognizing me as their daughter and the person they love and knowing that I can do it like that, that saved my life. And, um, although like I talk about how some of like their parenting may have 
hurt me like in terms of like trying to raise me up like to for all these accomplishments achievements I see why they did the Mm. things they did and it can exist in the space where they like they are the ones who loved me that way and and saved my life and I never really knew how much they loved me I didn't know if their love was unconditional until I went through my addiction and saw how they showed up for me and saw how they didn't give up on me so People are often told, like, if for me, if they had a child in the situation that I was in, they would have been told to let them go, to not answer the phone, to just Mm. leave them be. There's like nothing more you can do. And I think people had told my parents that. And so and they didn't listen to that. Like my parents have the biggest hearts in the entire world. Um, And so I talk about that a lot because I think that's really important for people to know that's some tough love might work on some people and some people might say, thank God that I was loved like in this tough way. But for me, that didn't mm-hmm. work for me. And I think more people need to hear the side of where tough love doesn't work and where unconditional love does work. Yeah. 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 Oh, you made me go. Oh, you made me cry then. <laughs> and I just think, you know, there's quite, I know that uh, there's a lot of people who listen to the podcast that are parents and we, mom, um, Mandy and I, obviously we talk about motherhood quite a lot and we have adolescent kids yeah, and there's a lot of worry around that, you know, them finding their ways. And like I say, with, you know, with my son and as it's, yeah, it, it's very affirming to me to hear that. Um, because actually at the gut level, you want to just love your kids, right? You just yeah. want to love them and it doesn't, you know, so to have that, that message put put out there like I really appreciate that I and when I read that when I read your blog I was like oh I got a must must ask you about like yeah. that aspect is something really beautiful about coming full circle and then you saying you know mum and dad you know and you love them back because that's all they want yeah. is for you to love them too yeah. and to be okay true. very true um, yeah and now um our relationship is better than it's ever been and I talked to them weekly I was just out there last week celebrating my dad's birthday like um and I remind I tell them how grateful I am and I remind them that I wouldn't be here without Mm -hmm. them and like um it's just they are in my top priority and I don't Mm -hmm. think I really made like I didn't make them necessarily a top priority in my 20s like I still Mm. saw them a lot but I didn't understand the value of family and having people like that until I went through what I did and now I realize like why they say like your family are always the people who are going to have your back because they were the only people who had my back most of the time yeah yeah oh bless them Love your parents. They sound awesome. They sound really, yeah. An amazing mom. All all moms and parents who just want to love their kids and be there for Big shout out to those mamas, definitely. Um, What um what have you what are you most proud of? My sobriety. (laughs) (laughs) And what in your yeah, in your sober journey, what are you most proud of? I mean, I'm, there's not, I'm most proud of the person that sobriety has made me into. Mm. Um, maybe the person I've always had been, um, but decided to turn into someone different to please other people. But sobriety has made me incredibly honest, way more loving, way more compassionate, way more empathetic. Um, 
incredible integrity and ethics. Um, like I'm just really, I'm proud Mm -hmm. of the person that I am. I don't know if I felt that before in my life, but it, it is because of sobriety and it is because of, um, the decisions that I make and how I'm constantly focused on growth and evolution and becoming a better person. Yeah, 100%. I love that. And I, I, that definitely resonates with me about, yeah, years and years of really not feeling very proud of myself and feeling like I was just flaky and anxious and this and that and the other. And, and then I was like, Actually, I'm sobriety. I realize I'm real badass, right? I'm not flaky. I'm bloody warrior. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I never knew that, right? That's like, yeah. And it yeah, is, you yeah, have so many great insights oh, about who you are yeah. and why you behave the way you do and everything. It's like being given a second so a chance, teacher. isn't it? It's yeah. like being given a whole yeah. other life. Like there was that one track, and you were able to go onto this whole other track. It literally feels like sliding doors to me, you know? Yeah, it so does. Amazing. It does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you see. You mentioned you're writing a book. Do you want to tell us a bit about your book and your any future projects you've got going on? Um, the only future project I have is working on the book. I'm writing a memoir. Um, it keeps shifting and shaping forms, but it's basically, I mean, it's my addiction story and my recovery story, and it also um, includes love addiction and it's very, and it's, it's emphasizing on how love. Um, addiction and drug addiction feed off one another and how they're toxic to one another. Um, that's all I'm working on because that's like the most important for me, for me in this world, my writing is what brings me the most joy. And so that's the project that I have to focus on and work on. So that's all I'm doing outside of, um, I, I mean, I post on social media and Instagram quite a bit and I write like little daily things. Um, but those are the, that's all I'm working on besides having another job where I can make a livelihood yeah um yeah that's all I'm doing yeah mm-hmm. and that's that's really lovely because you just reminded me saying about the 11 year old you reading and writing and writing in your room right and now you're you're doing it so that's yeah that's I feel very blessed to be yeah. able to have the space time and another job so that I can actually yeah. do this job yeah yeah because yeah. I always say that it's like I'm not I think oh well, this is going and I don't topic. have kids yeah, so, uh, <laughs> that helps, right? <laughs> but yeah. you do have a pig, which is like a toddler. So yeah. you, you kind of have got a child. Yeah, but I can lock her like in the other room and put her in a crate and stuff. I don't like, think you can do that with kids. I'm not you? sure I can do that. I don't think it's legal yet. <laughs> yeah. Darn. Okay, well, I won't have kids until it is. Yeah, right. Um, so, um, so, okay, we're coming to um, um, the end now. Um, so we always end up with a tip of the day for people and a reason to love sober. So if you could tell us, yeah, a tip of the day that you'd give. Tip of the day. Um, if it's not an F, yes, it's a no. That's my tip of the day. Brilliant. Um love like why you love sobriety yeah because we could love sober uh, what's your reason to love well, sober? haven't we talked about <laughs> yeah yeah it's all right you've done that right <laughs> well I love like again I love sobriety because it's allowed me to turn into the person that I yeah. think I'm, I'm meant to be in this world it allows me to keep evolving and growing into a better person and it allows me to um have such a deep heart and compassion that I am willing to do my part, which I'm most passionate about is helping people recover from addiction, learning more about it, understanding the science, understanding new modalities, new methods, harm reduction, things like that. So, um, 
Yeah. 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 You're gonna you're gonna show up for your life. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really inspiring. Really inspiring. I love what you said about if it's not an F, yeah, it's an F. No. And that is from Mandy. That's not mine, but I feel like I just, I need yeah. it. It's like yeah. a tip of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's for Mandy because Mandy yeah. had to. Exactly, go, Mandy. Um, I'm so, proud of, I'm proud of you, Mandy. I'm proud mm-hmm. of you, Mandy, too. We're sending lots of love to Mandy. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Oh, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful thank to talk so to much. you. Thank you for being thank so honest you. and yeah, sharing your, you know, keep showing up, keep sharing your stories because they're really inspiring. And thank you. Thank you for what you are doing and what Mandy's doing. Um, like, it's great bravery and courage. Oh, and thanks. it means so much to so many people. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Right. So if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, obviously reach out. There's lots of support online nowadays. You will find a place that you fit. Um, You can obviously talk to your GP. um, And in the UK, Alcohol Change um, has lots of agencies of local support. So don't struggle alone. Just reach out. You can send us um, an email at info at Love Sober. And uh, yeah, we'll post all of Lara's links below if you want to read her fantastic blog. Um, We'll link that too. And um, we'll say goodbye for now. Thanks. Bye.